0: Jump right into it. Are we? How are we doing this morning? Good. Some time ago, we started a series on uh, stewardship, and uh, I just feel like we're going to be camping here for a little while, and there may be little moments in between where we're doing other things. But I just feel like there's something that God really has on this for this season. We're going to be looking at some real practical things, everything from marriage and parenting and finances, and and just. Uh, workplace and life in general. We're going to be looking at some real key things of what God um, has given us so much understanding and depth of knowledge from the scriptures. We're going to be digging these things out and looking at how we can explore living them them out on on an everyday kingdom basis. And um, so as we've been exploring some of that over the last little while, one of the things we started off with, first of all, was to look at making sure that we understand our position. Because unless we know who we are and what we've been entrusted with, we actually can't steward that well, right? If I don't know that something's my responsibility or I don't have the authority and the responsibility, stewarding that, being responsible and living that out well actually becomes very hard to do, right? Anyone ever been in a workplace environment where maybe you've been given responsibility without authority? Maybe you've been given authority and no responsibility? None of those work well without the other, do they? And that's the kingdom of heaven. There is an authority, an identity, a position in which we stand, and then there's a responsibility as well as the rights of citizens of heaven. And so we've been exploring something of that over the last little while. Um, You can catch up more on that online on our website uh, where the messages are recorded. But I wanted to go into it a little bit further this morning, and um, I just felt some of the key foundations before we start getting into some of these more everyday practical life things that I wanted to establish was just really making sure positionally and identity, we understand who we are. So this morning, I'm, I'm wanting to explore a little bit more on, on stewarding being the church. And um, we're going we're gonna to explore a little bit more of what that means and, and how do we actually steward the gift, the responsibility, uh, the joy, the passion, uh, the reality of being church. What does that look like? And so one of the first questions, which I think I often hear from people, whether they believe in Jesus or not, is why do you, why do you go to church? What do you, I've even heard, often I've heard it said, I, I love some of the greatest times and experiences that, that I've had and, and enjoyed so much. You know, let me just back up with this. Jesus was often referred to as a drunkard, as a glutton, as a sinner, he was, he was called that by the religious people of the day. He didn't, they didn't say he was like one. They actually said he was one because he spent so much of his time with the people that had a lot of those vices and things going on in their lives. He was accused of that. And I, I think we really need to take a feather out of his cap and that and say, if, if Jesus thought there was something about spending a lot of his time like that, Jen and I were part of a rugby club. And it was actually known commonly as a, a drinking club with a rugby problem. And it, it's, there's a whole lot of stuff that went with it. And you know what? That might be offensive, but that's, that's very normal in our everyday world, right? And, uh, and it was some of the greatest times of our lives. And we just so enjoyed being with just some great people. And I don't know that there were any that actually knew Jesus at all. Um, and we, we just found such amazing privilege in these moments of, of as time goes and relationship builds, there's little questions that start getting asked, and, and relationship builds a little deeper, and ultimately it leads to things like, hey, I'm really going through a tough time right now, and, and I, I don't have the faith you do, but could you pray for me? Or um, the captain of the rugby club, <laughs> very influential guy, I became really good friends with, ultimately to the point where we'd really struggled to... Get to a place of um, uh, the freedom to commit to proposing to his beautiful girlfriend. And, and there were just so many things that he was needing to work through in the midst of all of that. And, and in the process, he, he, he does it one day. And he's so thankful. And he calls me up. And I'm like the first one on Speed Dial after this. And what a privilege, eh? Yeah. Just because I'm his friend. Yeah. And, uh, and then he says to me, I want you to do the wedding. And I thought, well, it's kind of convenient that I have a marriage license. And and, um, and I, I really wrestled with it. And I said to him, I said, I've got to be real about this and say this, that in order to be true to who I am, for me, marriage is a very, very important thing in the kingdom of heaven. It's recognized more by heaven than it is by man. <laughs> Otherwise, just go and sign a piece of paper. And so to be true to who I am and, and, and really to be with integrity, I've got to tell you that when, if I'm going to do this, I've got to speak about Jesus because he's the source. And, the, and so I kind of prepare my little speech, and I'm a little nervous in speaking this to him. And eventually he says, okay, could you stop already? Why do you think I, my friends need to hear what you have to say? <laughs> Not me, my, my friends need to hear this, you know? And I, it was just, I was like, wow, okay. And so we had the amazing privilege of, of leading the wedding with the whole of the rugby club there, and it's one serious party afterwards, and one of the young couples comes up to us, and we would built a good friendship with them, and, and uh, she was quite teary, and it's just uh, the bottom line of it is that we, we've been trying to fall pregnant for some time now and haven't been able to, and we wondered if you'd be able to pray for us, kind of like right in the middle of the dance floor, you know? And um, so we had the amazing privilege of doing that. And, and I'm just in the middle of all of that, and God, God does not need to defend his reputation. But I've got to tell you, in the middle of that, I'm like, Jesus, please, <laughs> let this be one of those answers to prayer that we long for. And, and it was under a year. They fell pregnant. And, and they, they honestly recognized the moment for what it was, and, and they gave glory to God in their own words, but they did it, which was remarkable. And I, I think just, just encouraging us, and we got this conference coming up next weekend, and but, but what one of the things about going to church, I, I want to kill that statement first of all. Because we don't go to church. We somehow have invented this phrase that is completely wrong. Because if I were to truly go to the church, it would be like me walking up to my friend Daryl and saying, Hey Daryl, hey church. That's me going to the church. Because the scripture clearly says that we are the church. And you know what? It it does something. It It puts authority and responsibility on us. It's not a third party thing. It's not a something we attend. I sometimes hear this phrase that gets asked, what is the church doing about this? And my response as graciously as I can is, Well, what are you doing about it? Because you are the church. (laughs) And we collectively are the church. And if we get a revelation of that, it changes what we perceive about a Sunday morning gathering. It changes how we live our lives. It just does. It has to. So the church is not this building, because if the church was this building, oh, wow, it's just downright ugly. It's not this building. In fact, I've never yet seen a church building that even qualifies remotely for the glory of heaven. But it is people. A few weeks ago, I, I reminded us of the word ekklesia, a good Greek word. Thanks, Stacey, for your encouragement on my Greek expressions. It's about as much Greek as I speak. But uh, this word ekklesia, just a quick reminder on this, it's the, it's the Roman Empire back in the day when they were just conquering all, and it was like this this centrality and this mighty Roman Empire, and and their mode of conquering, their mode of bringing their culture was that they would take a group of people across the spectrum—engineers, lawyers, doctors, farmers, scientists, road builders, housewives, whatever it might be—just across the spectrum. They would take this incredible group of people, completely mixed, and they would plant them in this new culture. And the the responsibility of that group was to bring Roman culture into the new culture that they were a part of and and affect culture at every level to bring Roman culture into that culture. And Jesus took a hold of that that terminology and described that's the church, the ecclesia, is to bring the kingdom of heaven, not rules and, and, and rituals, not that, that's not the kingdom of heaven, but life and freedom, and hope, and peace, true and lasting peace. That's the kingdom, that's the ecclesia. Affect culture, change, and be a positive influence on culture. That's the heart of it. That's being the church. Uh, You know, I I really make an effort every time I read the scriptures. I, I, I enjoy things like this where Whenever I read the Bible and I see the word Christ's body or the body or the church or any derivative of, the, of an expression about the church, I, I stop and I put my name in there. Let's look at that. Ephesians 3 verse 10. His intent was that now through the church. His intent was that now through Bob, through Randy, through Casey, through Trevor. You get it? Put your name in there. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Man, that, that's authority and responsibility right there. That's not third person. It's not, it doesn't exclude me. That's an incredible privilege. And it's amazing. That's God's establishment. Ephesians 1, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, his head over all things, to the church. To Alex, to Graham, to Travis, to Scott. He, he gave. He did all that. Read it in the context of that. It changes everything. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. He's done so much to do what? To equip his people... For works of service. This responsibility. So that the body of Christ, who? Me. So that I may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we are the church. And sometimes... We meet together as the church. That is not the full extent of church. And, and, and I think that's one of the greatest things that we need to change in our mindsets and thinking, which can so easily lead to offense or discouragement. If everything is around a Sunday gathering, then when things don't go right or go wrong or whatever, then it's so, things go really wrong, bad. But, but that was horrible English, wasn't it? Do my best. Sometimes we meet together as the church. We are the church, and we have these gatherings that happen on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night or a Tuesday morning. Or That's when we gather as the church. And uh, Here's some keys to maybe being together and some guidelines for when we meet together. I I think that there's something that we've got to do in really exploring. Uh, Okay, if we don't go to church, if we are the church, well then part of it is living out the fullness of the kingdom of God, the ecclesia in our world. And that that experience that I started off sharing this morning about what Jen and I had in our our world, in the rugby world, you know what, find what you're passionate about. Find what you love. Find what you might think you're good at, whether you are or not. And get in there. Be the ecclesia. That's how we are the church. One of the greatest things I'm celebrating, yes, I'm going there, Mark. One of the greatest things I'm celebrating in my friend Mark right now is just this new joy to just get out there and he's playing rugby today in some of the high-end clubs in our city. And I'm proud of you, my friend, because it's taking time from other things in your life and there might even be some meetings that you can't make. But every time I see him, he's got a new bruise, a new story, a new something. And there's a smile on his face. And there's a world that he's impacting that he just hasn't in a long time. And I'm so delighted by that. I draw great courage from that. There's something right about being the church, being the ecclesia, being, just being who God's called and equipped and given us to be. That's the heart of this conference next week. Come and be encouraged and stirred. I want to read a portion of scripture here, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And um, just for the sake of time this morning, there's a few sections I'm just going to skip over. But I want to encourage you to spend some time camping that, explore it a little bit more. And there's going to be some things in here which a lot of pastors choose to kind of <laughs> move on from because they're quite hard to work out. And we're going to jump in there this morning. But we also have a limited amount of time, so we're going to do our best to kind of touch on it this week. And I encourage you to do a little bit more of your own exploring. There's times in my life that I've discovered that I've, I've heard something from someone and I've, I've owned that as a truth. And sometimes in our humanity we can miss some things. My encouragement is we've got to dig deep from the scriptures and let the scriptures do the the talking. The Bible says be good Bereans, which basically means make sure you're digging in and owning the truth for yourself. It's not third-hand information. So let's look at some practical things about what the Bible says about being the church and living well together. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. In the Amplified Translation of the Bible, it just unpacks so much more of it. It says, pursue this love. It's obviously referring to something that's just happened. 1 Corinthians 13 is the whole text about true, heavenly, kingdom, godly kind of love. And then it says, pursue this love. In other words, everything we do from this moment on and everything we read has to be rooted and established in the godly kind of love. Not conditional, not wishy-washy, but unconditional, unwavering, faultless, true love everything out of that motivated from this place of love i think it's very important to hear in fact elsewhere here in the scriptures it says that if we don't do things motivated out of love then we just sound like a resounding gong which is a bit like my little girl with a stick in it and a pot in her hand bang 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 please stop please please stop no no Ooh! Ding, ding 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 That's what the Scripture says. Without this kind of love, that's what it is. It's just noisy. Pursue this love with eagerness. Make it to, make it your goal. Yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts to be used by believers for the benefit of the church. We could spend the next year on this text. We could unpack that for the next six weeks. Spiritual gifts. But, but it, the Scripture says earnestly desire and cultivate these spiritual gifts we've got to pursue these things desire and cultivate to be used by believers for what the benefit of the church that's the purpose of spiritual gifts so when i go to church my friend daryl over here i come with the spiritual gifts with me which is for his benefit isn't that amazing that's the purpose that's god's intent but especially that you may prophesy to foretell the future, to speak a new message from God to the people. Paul says eagerly desire this gift. And and sadly, in some circles today, there's just a, a sense of, well, those were the gifts for the day. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm touching on a lot of things here this morning, which we could go a whole lot deeper in. But just bear with me as we kind of just stir some thinking in this. We, we take the scripture in its entirety, and it says that this is for today. And that's what we believe as a local church. We can talk that further through if you you need to or want to, but that's where we stand. For one who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to people but to God. For no one understands him or catches his meaning, but by the Spirit he speaks mysteries, secret truths, hidden things. The Bible says we've been given another language, this, this language of tongues, which can be a little unsettling or confusing for people at times. I heard someone once say that tongues are like the tongue in your shoe, right? Dave, you'll tell us about this. It's like, it's not necessary for your shoe to function, but it makes it a whole lot easier. (laughs) And I don't want to oversimplify it, but that, that really is some core to it. But on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for edification. That's the purpose of prophecy to promote their spiritual growth, and speaks words of encouragement, so edification, encouragement, to uphold and advise them concerning the matters of God, and speaks words of consolation to compassionately comfort them. Edification, encouragement, and comfort. And if you're growing in your prophetic gift or understanding, and you want to grow in that, those are three great measures right there, biblically, true, and sound. If it's not edifying, if it's not encouraging, if it's not comforting, I better think twice about giving this and really evaluate it more carefully. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. I recently came across a medical study that was done about this thing of speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. And, and there was something that they did all sorts of brain scans and MRIs and CRTs and all these fancy things. And, and, and um, what they discovered is that, that praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, activates a part of the brain that does not get activated through any other means or way. And is, an, and is instrumental in healing in the body. God's design. So one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Medical is proving that. But one who prophesies edifies the church. So speaking in tongues, I edify myself. It has benefit to my body. But but when I prophesy, guess what it does? It edifies, when I go to church, my friend Daryl. It promotes growth and spiritual wisdom, devotion, holiness, and joy. Now, I wish that all of you... I'm just skipping. I mean, how powerful is that? you serious? That's amazing. Now, I wish that all of you spoke in unknown tongues, but even more, I wish, says Paul, that you would prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater and more useful than the one who speaks in tongues, unless... He translates or explains what he says so that the church may be edified, instructed, improved, and strengthened, which is what we call a public giving of a tongue, which is a public um, for everyone to hear. Otherwise, tongues is a gift for the person. And then there's an interpretation because there is a, a validity that God has a, a message for the church. And again, it edifies the church, right? Therefore, unknown tongues are meant for a supernatural sign, Not to believers, but to unbelievers who might be receptive. While prophecy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. It's a message of God to His people. So then, if the whole church gathers together, when we understand the church properly, then that makes sense. (laughs) Because it's speaking about how we, as the church, function in everyday life. It's not, it's not even when we get together all the time. Because we make these rules and rituals for just when we gather between 10 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning. No, this is life. And, and if we get the revelation of it, it changes the way I live my life on an everyday basis. I loved what Alex shared this morning. Hooks of righteousness against all odds overcoming as a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor between 10 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning. Ha! For the display of His splendor, period, wherever I go. When we get this, we will, we will change the world we live in for the good. Christ in us. The hope of glory. So then, if the whole church gathers together, and all of you speak in unknown tongues, and outsiders or those who are not gifted in spiritual matters or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? <laughs> I mean, the truth is that there is there's reality. Let's, let's And the, the, the scripture speaks a little further even on about orderly worship. So we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because it doesn't feel comfortable. We're scripturally sound. Let's look at the scriptural basis and understanding for how to administer the spiritual gifts, how to walk out in these truths, right? But if all prophesy, for telling the future, speaking a new message from the God to the people, and an unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted of his sins by all, and he is called to account by all because he can understand what is being said. The secrets of his heart are laid bare, and so falling on his face, he will worship God, declaring that God is really among you. So if all of you prophesy, somehow we've also got this thinking in our mind that says prophecy is when, like Alex did, gets up on the microphone and says, thus saith the Lord. And I I don't mean to make fun of that. I'm just saying that is a profound prophetic word that can be for the gift of the church. But if we end there, that's not it. But how could we possibly all prophesy in that way when we come together? But when we live a lifestyle of a prophetic people that says everywhere I go, everything I do, even when I come together to gather with the church, I'm a prophetic person that hears from heaven. I have positional identity and authority and rights and therefore responsibility as a prophetic voice. I have something for someone that might change their life. And if we live in that manner and way, Can you imagine the way we could change the world? Actually, what it says is when we all prophesy that people will worship God, declaring that God is really among you, unbelievers who don't believe in this God will bow down and worship Him, acknowledging that God is among us. What then is the right course, believers? Verse 26, when you meet together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a disclosure of personal knowledge, a tongue or an interpretation, and let everything be constructive and edifying and done for the good of all the church. Let everything be done for the purpose of encouraging and edifying the church. All we do. The the NRV records verse 26 this way. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or interpretation. And then this word, everything must be not can or could. Everything must be done so that the church might be built up. The point is that not, not one of us is excluded from this. When we come with identity, authority, and rights, there's responsibility. And as we live that way, it changes the world. It changes you and me. I mean, Imagine if, if I stopped and took the time to listen, and I had something for Jenna this morning. And I walked in and I shared something with her. I don't even know the full context. It's not for me to know. But I just want to be faithful with what I've stopped and been responsible with because of my positional authority and rights. And I come and I release something to her. And it just can you imagine what it might do for her? It could change her life. Give her freedom. Give her direction. Give her perspective. She's never seen. What if that happens for people that that don't know Jesus? That's what the scripture says. Surely God is among you. I know Jen shared a story of a, of a phone call to a friend that she hadn't known in years. She had a dream about them. It was a prophetic dream. And she phoned and she shared the dream and, and was really nervous and unsure about it and, and never even really got any feedback from it until a little while later she met this young lady again and, and she said something along the lines of, you can't believe how that changed me. And um, Be sure to call me again if you ever have one of those. That's just the obedience of stepping out, changing the world, one at a time. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be limited to two or at the most three, and each one speaking in turn, and one must interpret what is said. But if there is no one to interpret, the one who wishes to speak in a tongue must keep silent in church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak as inspired by the Holy Spirit, while the rest pay attention and weigh carefully what is said. There is order in God's organic greatness. And we, we, we need to take heed of what the Scriptures say in these things. It's all for the purpose of encouraging and edifying the church. There's great value in this all, and it's remarkable. But if an inspired revelation is made to another who is seated, then the first one must be silent. For in this way, you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may be instructed and everyone may be encouraged. For the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Pause there for a moment. Sometimes there can be a whole lot of weirdness. (laughs) But the scripture says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words... In the weirdness, we can say, well, it's just God. <laughs> no, actually, there is a responsibility to administer what I've been entrusted with under God's authority. But, I, but I, you know what? Be responsible with it. There's, there's the wildness of the kingdom of heaven. But sometimes we let weirdness come in the midst of it. And we've got to, we've got to embrace the wildness of the kingdom of heaven while just recognizing that there's humanity in the mix of all of this and humbling ourselves before God and honoring Him. The prophecy, it goes on to say, is under the speaker's control and He can stop speaking. If you haven't yet had that experience of the discomfort of something that goes awry that way, I'm very grateful for you. You're blessed in that. <laughs> and May it not happen to you. It's not comfortable. It's not, it's not godly. For God, who is the source of their prophesying, is not a God of confusion and disorder, but He is the God of peace and order. Just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not peaceful or orderly. Can I just say that? Sometimes in our own cultural comforts and everything that goes with it, we can allow that to shape and form our perspective on what's right or wrong. I, I really wanted to tuck into this next portion of Scripture, but I honestly feel like for the sake of time this morning, I, I just won't do it justice, but it's, it's something that I think we skip over often in Scripture, and it's, um, it starts with this, as is the practice in all the churches of the saints, God's people, the women should be silent in all the churches. Got your attention yet? I really feel like there's a lot to be said in this, and there's something really deep that God wants to do in us and through us, and especially with the ladies in our community. I feel like there is a freedom here that is beyond your wildest dreams or expectations, and it's not taking it just for the words that it says here right now, okay? I want to I want to really dig into this a little deeper, but I feel like just for the sake of time, we're not going to start something that I can't finish this morning. And so we're going to do that in a, in a few weeks. We'll... we'll tuck into this. Um, and uh, I want to encourage you. There is there is such freedom that we're going to discover for every person here that God will will really reveal through this. Because in the truth of all of this, there are so many cultural, contextual, language things that happen here that w- that we have to go and dig in and really foundationally establish ourselves here. Because as you've probably seen already we have women in our church that we love to see empowered and released to preach to bring words of prophetic insights and understanding and if you read that word then we are not being true to what the bible says if you read it for what it is got your attention yet so we're going to be exploring this more in the weeks to come but i'm going to just leave it here for now Jen said that Daryl will be preaching on that in a few weeks. <laughs> I, I, I honestly feel like it's a, I think it's an incredibly important and a very necessary word for every one of us. And it's not just for our ladies, men, it's for us to get a deep revelation. I think one of the deepest cries of my heart has been this over the years, that I won't, I will be colorblind in a sense. I will be genderblind, God, may we never live in a world where I see through the lens of woman or man. Because actually, he says otherwise in the scripture as well. And so in my leadership, I've really made an effort and and being accountable to my friends around me and fellow leaders is to say, may we make sure that we're leading in a gender-blind environment. And scripturally, there's incredibly deep roots and foundations for this. That's what I'm wanting to unpack and explore a little further. I'm skipping a whole bunch of pages of notes here. You know, it's always shorter in your mind when you prepare this, hey? You know, Winston Churchill once said this. He said, if you want me to speak for two hours, give me five minutes notice. But if you want me to speak for five minutes, give me two hours notice. (laughs) So the purpose and the value of our... Gatherings together. There's there's being a believer, there's being the Christian, there's being the church. But the purpose of these gatherings together, they, they're times of celebration, they're times of equipping, they're times of encouraging, they're times of prophetic insight and, and encouragement and edification and comfort. That's the purpose of these times together. And if we have a skewed perception or perspective on the church then especially i often hear this from people with an evangelistic anointing or gifting or a, or a passion as, as they might and i'm exaggerating it a bit but but there'll be something like this said well while all of you are sitting here just talking and singing and there's people dying out there i'm exaggerating it but but when there's a skewed perspective and understanding of what this is then that's what we see we don't see the value of this But when we see that we are the church, and church is a 24-7 way of life. It's lifestyle in everything we do. When we see that, it changes the way we live life. Because then it says that wherever I am, I'm the church. (laughs) And these times of coming together in life groups, on Sunday morning gatherings, this is not a place where you're going to get knit into the family. Just saying. You might to a certain extent, but this is a place that's going to leverage some opportunity for you to meet some people to then get connected into family and other things that we do in the life of the week in between everything else. Life groups, youth, all sorts of things that happen. Coffee times together with friends. That's being the church and encouraging. You know, when you meet someone in a coffee shop and you sit and your purpose of your time together is encourage, edify, comfort, then you know what you're doing? Is you're doing something that some might say you're going to church in the middle of a coffee shop. Because we're being the church together. That's the value in the heart of of what Jesus has given us. as we get to be that for one another. And I pray that that revelation more than anything else drives deep within us this morning. So when we have these little times together, these are so valuable to be able to come together to build friendship, to be encouraged, to corporately, together, worship our King of Kings. There's something so rich and deep that happens in those moments. But this is not your primary source of friendship, or family, or food, or scriptural insight to understanding. I I hate to say that to you, but it's not my responsibility for you to understand the Bible. It's your responsibility to dig into it, and we get to partner with one another in encouraging and helping understand and dig a little deeper, and what I love being able to do on a Sunday morning is being able to just stir a little bit and throw a few things in that hopefully gets the gears turning that says, gee, I hadn't thought about it that way, or that encourages you to go and dig further during the week. There's no way that I can accomplish it all in this little bit of time on a Sunday morning. Hebrews 10 verse 24 through 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It doesn't say we should think about doing it. It says, let us consider how we should do it. Let's evaluate when we get together. How are we going to spur one another on? You know what a spur is? that little sharp thing on the end of a cowboy's boot that goes wham into the side of a horse to spur him into action. And without getting into opinions on how good or not that is, that's what it is. The spurring one another on is, is really, it's sometimes the best way that I can honor my friends is actually confrontational. It's, it's the, the best description I can see of honor is it's recognizing Let me just take Dave in front of me. David's recognizing who you are in Christ and what God sees in you and actually confronting you prophetically with a kingdom perspective on you when you're behaving differently. That is love. That's honor. That's how I love my friend. And that's a spur in his side because it might hurt a little. But if he knows I love him, I've heard someone once say this, people don't mind you digging around in the dirt if they know you're going after the gold. That's spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Scripture says the importance of these gatherings. This is a vital part of our time together. Meeting together regularly. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. (laughs) There it is, straight up. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And being the church as a whole and exploring all of this is just as we discovered. It's not just a Sunday gathering. This Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47 just captures this so beautifully. This is how we be the church. This is just a, this is the first church that was established. This is, this is it. This is the model that we should be over 2,000 years later, really have graduated from and grown in and become. But this is the model of how it started. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone, or maybe your Bible says just a few, mine says everyone, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers, not just a few, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. A lifestyle of radical generosity and family and commitment. And every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread every day. How do you meet together every day? It's coffee shops. It's life groups. It's youth. It's not everyday Sunday. They they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And so when they were committed to just being the family and, and, and really being the church, and, and actually all we see is about just the believers being together, guess what God does when there's a healthy expression of being the church? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that profound? I want to wrap with this scripture. If you have your Bibles, get them ready. Let's open up to this. The book of Acts, chapter 29, verse 1. Are you there? Acts chapter 29, verse 1. Okay, for those of you who haven't seen it for yourselves, Acts ends at the end of chapter 28. There is no 29, verse 1. But I want to leave us with this, okay? I knew, I knew someone was going to say, you're adding to Scripture. You know what, I'm not adding to Scripture. I want to challenge us with this thought, okay? It's that when the Scriptures were written, that was not the end. Jesus said things like, greater things than, than I, you will do. In other words, there is still a call on the church today. the, 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 The story is not finished being written. I'm not trying to add to the scriptures. I'm trying to make a point of saying there is more. The book of Acts is the most remarkable story of the explosion of the church in its early days. And you and I are still a part of the church exploding. Greater than any time in history, there are more people coming to Jesus today than ever before in history. That's what the People out there who know what they're talking about say. The scripture says that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Do do we believe what we read in the news or do we believe what he says? Of the increase of his manifestation of kingdom influence in the world, there will never be an end. It will be ever increasing. And of peace, kingdom peace. Isn't that amazing? And you know how he does that? We are a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Isn't that amazing? Could you stand with me, friends? Lord God, we want to honor you for your word, the, the, the incredible gift of the scriptures this morning. And Father, as even as we have just touched on some things that we could go so much deeper, and I pray that in every one of our hearts there would be things that are stirred, that our minds would be challenged this morning to go and dig deeper, to understand more, that we could truly honor you and represent you as best as we can. Father, as I stand here with my friends this morning, I just want to stand before you and say, please renew my thinking. Help me to see better the way you see who I am, what you've called me to, what the church is, who the church is, that we can truly live out a full representation of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, this morning, we honor you with our lives. We submit our lives to you, to to not only your saving grace, but to your lordship. We acknowledge that you are Lord and Savior. And as we do that, as we discover that the plans and the purposes that you have for our lives are greater than we could ever dare dream or imagine, as the hope that you have us for life, for the rest of our lives, in spite of circumstances, trials, and hardships, we have a hope in you that will never disappoint us. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of being the church. Thank you that we have the spiritual gifts that you've entrusted and you've given to us in in such wonderful abundance. Thank you that your scripture also says that you you never take your gifts away from us. But as we walk out your gifts as a blessing and an encouragement to one another, we can see people being encouraged, established, built up, becoming free, stepping into calling and destiny and inheritance. We can see shackles and chains being broken off. We can see marriages restored. If If you need a belief for a miracle this morning... I want to encourage you to just reach out to Him right now where you're at. If you want to see addictions broken, if you want to see marriages restored, if you want to see relationships restored, if you want to see anything that you've believed the lie of impossible, I want you to just, I don't know what you need to do. Just reach out to heaven right now just as an act of faith. Do what you need to do. God, thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And we receive this impartation from heaven this morning that says you are enough and you've given us all we need. And we name all these things and whatever I don't name, it's included as well. Anxiety, pain, depression, uncertainty, broken relationships, broken marriages, addictions, fear and shame. Father, we receive the breaking off of all of these things this morning so that we can be free to be who you called and blessed us to be. And together in the precious name of Jesus, we pray this and we say, so be it. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Amen. Uh we're a uh